Welcome to We Got Balls, real, raw, masculine sex talk with Chris Inman and Scott Cohn. Chris and Scott both work with men who want to leave their unwanted sexual struggles in the past. They are willing to do whatever it takes to help men get curious about what drives their compulsive sexual behavior. With that said, here we go. Hey guys, welcome back to We Got Balls. We're here for another stimulating, thrilling, and engorging conversation. That's what we do every single week. We're I'm trying to... I'm going to need to time out <laughs> Too right much. now. I'll be, I'll Trigger be back warning. I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> Trigger warning. Well, guys, if you uh, if you think you're being triggered, uh, you know, this is going to be a triggering conversation in a sense because we're talking about fantasy again for another week. Uh, and, Scott, as I think about fantasy, you know, one of the biggest pieces in my my life has been just exploring different types of literary and even television fantasy. In fact, I finished watching a, a series I've been watching on Netflix called The Last Kingdom, which is a historical fantasy about um, Alfred the Great and the kind of the Middle Ages in England. And, and the main character in this whole series is a guy that never existed. Like he's completely made up. We talked about earlier. He's kind of like that prototypical hero's journey character. And, and, it's even crazier because the story is like 80 years long and the actor never ages. He's always fit, buff, ripped, 30 year old dude. You know, that's just, that's TV for you, but whatever. It's not real. Yeah. It's fantasy, right? It's fantasy. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say it's interesting because in our last episode, we talked about both of our childhood fantasies growing up, how they kind of morphed yeah. into sexual fantasy. So you see behind yeah. me, Spider-Man and Superman and, my childhood fantasies were kind of grounded in the superhero monster yep. world. Yours were in more of the Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, the epic, the epic fantasy or the folklore fantasy, uh, and and this idea of historic. I was a big historical nerd, so anything that connected me to real human history and even in the way it felt was was legit for me. And of course, both of us kind of grew up in the Star Wars generation, right? So Star oh, Wars yeah. is an epic kind of sci-fi fantasy yes. on a large scale. And it's interesting when you start diving into the history of how George Lucas created Star Wars. George Lucas was a big fan of a guy named Joseph Campbell. So Joseph Campbell was a professor. Um, I forget what university he taught at, but he, he created a lot of material around this concept of the hero's journey and looking at mm. mythic quality of, you know, type of fantasies throughout cultures and throughout human history, he identified what's called the hero's journey, which is these defines, you know, typologies or archetypes of what uh, story is built around. And right. I think it's interesting to kind of consider those elements. We won't go deep diving into that. But in general, the hero's journey is all about an obscure kind of nobody backwoods dude who is um, destined for greatness. And so yeah. he gets initiated through a call into this epic journey. So think about Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker is a nobody. He's working on Tatooine uh, for his aunt and uncle because he's been orphaned. So there's some kind of trauma in his life that yep. sets up his story and then he gets yep. called by Obi-Wan to become a Jedi and go on this journey to overcome the forces of evil and be triumphant. And well, there's the and you miss and you, 
and you missed the biggest piece in that. You talked about some trauma there, but there's usually in that hero's journey uh, a a tragedy, a, a threatening evil, a death, a really change of course. Because otherwise, yeah, yeah. why does the hero want to do anything if he's everything's pretty comfortable and safe? It's this: the journey as I knew it is over. I have to start a new journey, and then it all unfolds from there. Think about Luke's journey. He finds out Darth Vader is really his father. So yeah. it goes back to these kind of themes that we see over and over again in myths and fairy tales. It's all about mothers and fathers. <laughs> What's yeah, going on and even, there? And trigger warning, he has a crush on his sister, but he doesn't yeah. know it's his sister. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a, yeah, there's an Oedipal theme there, right? The, That's, the it. Story That's it. That's it. So when we think about um, fantasies and sexual fantasies in particular, I think it's helpful to think about them with a structure. We just kind of simplify it a little bit. But there's there's three elements that I think play out in all of our fantasies in general and in our sexual fantasies in particular. And the first category is reenactment. I'm repeating something about my past that is really painful. I may not. In fact, I don't know that I'm repeating that like 95 percent of our daily mental activity is unconscious. We just do things and we don't know why we're doing them. But reenactment becomes a big part of that um, unconscious behavior. I'm actually repeating harmful experiences or relationships that I've had in the past in my present. That's the first one reenactment. Now, Scott, before we move any further, I think it's, it's really important. And we've talked about this, but I want to make sure that everybody that's listening and watching can get this is when we're talking about sexual fantasy, this is an amplification of what's happened in real life. And, And there are specific reasons why I would want to sexualize a harm that has already happened to me. Something that has happened to me, I want to take it and and one-up it to the next level and add that dopamine hit, add that shame factor, add that um, novelty factor, add the risk factor to it that makes it more exciting, more connecting. It's kind of that that cocktail we talked about um, from childhood of harm it gets placed into my control, and now I want to make my experience feel differently. Not necessarily all better, but feel differently, more dynamic, more connecting. And that's really the whole message behind sexuality is I take the things I know and I, I make them my own. I create an identity out of them. And so talk a little bit about that amplification because – I mean, like, for example, and I'll just be explicit for a moment. If someone has been um, been abused, been harmed, maybe even raped in the past, why would they want to repeat that? Why would they want to do that again in their sex life? That's a really good question. Like repetition doesn't make sense. If I if I have a painful experience in my past, why would I be drawn to repeat that? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One is because it's familiar Mm. and we are more comfortable with familiar experiences than we are with unfamiliar experiences. So when it comes to the sexual realm, I'm more likely to go back and repeat something that I've actually done in the past than just Mm. kind of invent something new. The second is because of that mix of 
neurochemicals that occurs in sexual excitation and orgasm. So there's both dopamine, which is a motivation neurotransmitter. It motivates us to do things. It creates craving in us. But Mm -hmm. so often in abusive sexual experiences or traumatic sexual experiences, the other neurochemicals that are released, well, there's always um, vasopressin or oxytocin that's released in orgasm. So it bonds us to that Mm -hmm. experience or that person or whatever. And there's also then the confusion and the neurochemicals associated with stress or uh, frightening situations or angering situations. And that is cortisol and that is adrenaline. And cortisol and adrenaline, they actually heighten sexual intensity, which is why people get very, uh, you know, you you have people that, and very committed to paying for sex or acting out publicly, going for anonymous hookups in public places, uh, doing things they know are risky. Why, why do people keep doing something they know is going to get them in trouble or could expose them to disease or things like that? Because they're repeating that past because it's so highly intensely arousing because not only are the chemicals associated with sexual arousal and orgasm associated with it, but adrenaline and cortisol, which heighten that um, sexual experience. So that's why we get bound to repeating the past. But you you brought up the other aspect of this because we said there's three aspects. So it's a reenactment of the past, but it's also seeking to reverse the past in some way. And you were talking about mm. that. Like, I go mm. back to repeat the past, not to just experience the same thing that I experienced in the past, because most likely in an abusive experience in my past, I was defeated. I yeah. was a victim. Yeah. So I repeat the past so I can be victorious in a situation where I've been the victim in the past. And that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. If I've been raped uh, by a man, why would I then yeah. fantasize about having anal sex where I'm the passive partner in that yeah. and another man yeah. is penetrating me? Because mm. I get to decide in this case whether I want to do that or not. It's not forced mm. on me. So the power is in my gotcha. hands. So the reversal is before you didn't have consent, it was forced upon you. Now you get to choose. This is something that I want because I've experienced it, but now it's in my control. It's under my power. It's on my time. That's right. Because all trauma, all trauma involves a sense of helplessness or powerlessness, Mm -hmm. right? And aloneness in that powerlessness. I can't do anything to change it. And for men in particular, um, We hate being in situations where we're powerless, where we Mm -hmm. have no personal power to change things. And this is why I think men are much more drawn to, um, I think if you did studies of male and female fantasies, it's very common for for females to actually fantasize about rape. Why is that? Um, Because they may have been subject to coercion by uh, sex from other men in their past, but it also is a way to not feel responsible for their sexual desires. If somebody's forcing themselves on me, then I'm not really responsible for my sexual choices. I still so get that. So we'll 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 get to that because that's power over power under dynamics. That's a that's a whole nother. I mean, that's probably you know a few episodes down the road. So so in that. In that reversal, you know, th- there is some experience, as you're talking about, of of being able to to feel, and, and 
and I, I think it's important to say this as we kind of move into the third point, that these are experientially learned dynamics. They're not shoulds. They're not oughts. They're not ideals. These are things that have happened to me in my life that I'm trying to make meaning of them. I'm trying to connect with them. I'm trying to engage my humanity in them. And it's messy. And it's just right. there, there's really no no way to, 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 to put this in a box. Like, because every human being's sexual story is different. Everybody's fantasies are different. Everybody's experiences and traumas and desires and turn-ons are different. And so even as we talk about this, I think it's it's really important that we say that these are experientially learned pieces. We get so stuck, especially in the religious context, of doing things the quote-unquote right way or being quote-unquote moral. And what we are saying in this fantasy conversation is this is an open door to explore your experience that is uniquely yours, and only you can learn it through and heal it through going into other experiences. Um, so, Scott, with that being said, what's the third? Um, what's the third piece of the fantasy? Um, well, well, before I, I didn't quite answer your question with why, why would I repeat? So here's here's the other reason that I repeat because okay. the originating experience of trauma creates a lot of pain in my life, emotional pain, maybe physical pain. So what am I going to do to seek a reversal of pain? I'm going to go to pleasure. What's the most easy form of pleasure? Sexual pleasure. Because it's sure. available anytime in my own body. I don't have to go outside of my body. I could take drugs. I could take. I could use alcohol. I could gamble. I could do other things. But sexual pleasure becomes a default, I think, for many men because it's just very easy to masturbate. And that, that kind yeah. of becomes the base level of how I seek to reverse it. The third yeah. element, so we've, we've talked about Reenact, reverse, transform. The third okay. element is I'm doing this to seek a change in me, mm. something that's missing in me that I need to bring into me to be complete and whole. Mm. So for, for guys who have been sexually abused by other men or who have real deep wounds with their father or their older brother or other peers, they may turn to homosexual fantasies as a way to either repeat past painful relationships in an attempt to reverse them and then be transformed to bring resolution to that, the pain of the relationship and to feel whole in that. Or they may feel like something's, and that's called a transference psychologically, yeah. or the other element may be it's a projection. There's something I feel like is lacking in me as a man. Mm. And so I want to be sexual with a man. Let's say I'm, I don't have a very hairy chest. And growing up, I have to, I've come to believe that a masculine man is really hairy. So I fantasize about sexuality with really masculine, hairy men, because that's what I feel like I need to transform myself. If that guy wants to yeah. be sexual with me, I'm good enough. I'm man enough. So there's an example yeah. of how all three elements, reenact, reverse, and transform, are part of, I think, every sexual fantasy. Yeah, and I, I resonate obviously with all three of those. But when you talk about the last one, I mean, you know, for me, it's it's trying to find in in fantasy. You know, as I struggled in these places for decades, how do I be mutual with someone? How do I be in a relationship with someone who sees me, loves me, is vulnerable with me, is excited to be with me? That's a little bit of the reversal of my parent dynamic, right? But then, in what I'm fantasizing about, I'm fantasizing about this ideal of 
mutuality. You know, for me, amateur couples is a big turn on because they, they get to become this new thing that I don't feel like I belong in, but I want so desperately to be in that mutually, sexually exciting, connecting, intimate experience. And so that's, that was a, from very, at the very beginning, that was a big, big deal for me. And so as we, as we kind of give some context to, to all these pieces, what are some things, Scott, that people can look for in their particular fantasy life? And, and I want to say this clearly, the key to looking at fantasy is non-judgmental curiosity. If you're going to look at your fantasy, you cannot shame or should or condemn anything in your life as bad or wrong or immoral or whatever language you want to put to it. You have a fantasy because there's something inside of you that is unmet. It's an unmet need, an unmet desire that you haven't dealt with. And you're you're trying to deal with it through this representation of something that is deep within you, but you struggle to put the words to. And so you make it a story, just like we talked about at the beginning of the conversation. You you inflate it into something that's really fantastical. So what is it, Scott, that people can use? How, how can they look at their fantasies with that non-judgmental curiosity to begin to decode their true desires, their deep unmet needs? Yeah, I think the first thing, that you have to start with is kind of what you said is kind of confront the, and this may be coming out of your religious tradition or your family tradition. There is a sense that if we look at our fantasies, it's going to be dangerous. Like we're going to go mm. off the rails and want to go out and yeah. fulfill that fantasy. We're going to act that out. And what we're not saying here is call up that fantasy and start masturbating to it and planning out how you're actually going to live that out. We're actually just asking you to be, compassionate and inquire of that fantasy. What are you trying to teach me here? Like, how are you speaking and, to me about the harm in my life? And, and, and that point being said, typically what happens in my experience in working with the, with other men, when you name it, it loses a lot of its power when it's, oh, it's shared and disclosed. Yeah. Tremendous power. And so let me just be really vulnerable for a second. So you were vulnerable about mutuality. I can so identify with that. My mutuality is around uh, masturbating with other guys. Why mm. is that? Mm. Because number one, growing up, I felt like I was never good enough to measure up to my dad's standards for what he was expecting from a sporty kid. My dad was a mm. sports nut. And as a little boy, because my birthday's later in the, the summer, I'm younger than all my peers. So when I do sports team as a little boy, I don't have the hand-eye coordination they do. And I felt very ostracized and not a part of the group. Not, I wasn't a part of the team. And not only that, but I felt the rejection from the other players on the team. And so when I get into puberty and me and my friends start spending the night, and we actually had those kind of joint masturbation experiences. And that's very common with young guys and teenagers, very common behavior. But it was very bonding to me because it comes into that vacuum of male connection mm. that was lacking in my life. And that was all about belonging. It was all about being part of the team. And so there's a lot of shame around that because I'm masturbating with other guys. 
I have to be willing to, to look at that behavior and, first of all, realize that it's fairly normal. Like we said a couple of sessions ago on our Pornhub uh, year in review, almost all sexual interests clustered in a very narrow window of activity. We are all, as human beings, drawn to the same things. And so I think it helps to realize that the things that draw us in or that tempt us, if you want to use kind of Christian language, they're common. They're common to everybody. So you're not a weirdo. You're not a pervert. You're just like everybody else. Most of our sexual interest is in that very narrow window. And to give yourself permission to actually be inquisitive about, well, how is this fantasy actually trying to help me based on how I've been harmed in the past? And you can see Mm -hmm. that masturbation is about that mutuality. I want to know I belong. I want to know I'm part of the guy's I'm accepted, I'm seen, and they're willing to be vulnerable enough and show me themselves as well. So Mm. that's a legitimate need, isn't it? Isn't it a legitimate need to belong? It's one of the fundamental human needs. So you can see why if I don't have that, it creates a lot of pain, and I'm going to go to sexuality really easily to reverse that pain with pleasure, and it's going to be specific to the way I've been harmed. So Um, here's some categories that you can think about just in general, we've already given you reenact, you know, reverse and transform. How do those three things show up? We've talked about the role that visual cued sexual interests play. Those are going to be common elements because when you go to sexual fantasy, you're going to be thinking about breasts or chests or butts or feet or penises, which are the view visual cued sexual interests. You're also going to be thinking about psychological things like novelty. What's new? What's a one-time experience that I had that keeps repeating in my path, you know, that I keep repeating because I keep wanting to go back to it because it was so intense. And then there's the story cues themselves. And, you know, what are the stories in my life where I felt a lot of hurt and heartache? But it's interesting when you start looking at the categories of like kind of pornography, or if you look at um, in uh, um, Jason Lee and Miller's book, Tell Me What You Want, where he surveyed 5,000 of his blog readers on what their fantasies are, he came up with these distinct categories. And I think they, they fit really well with what you see in Pornhub's top categories as well. So multiple partners is one. Mm-hmm. What does multiple okay. partners say? Let's just take uh, that uh, one, uh, for example. Uh, don't spoil it. Don't spoil it because that's a sexy one. I, okay. you know, when we get to the we'll lesbians episode or the threesome episode, I mean, that's really going to come out. So, so okay, I mean, so just, we'll, we'll just, go. We'll do an episode on that. So let me go on. Yeah. Let me go on. Multiple partners is one category. Number two would be yep. power or powerlessness. Those power dynamics. Yes. Yeah. Number power three. Over power under. Yeah. Novelty. Novelty mm. involves both new things as well as adventurous things, and there's variety. Yeah, yeah. Who, who doesn't exactly. like sexual variety? <laughs> um, uh, everybody. Yeah, right. Number four, things that are taboo, forbidden, mm. transgressive, and this would wow. include fetishes. So yep. a fetish is a sexual arousal or attachment to something that's not a visual uh, cued sexual interest, although body parts can become fetishes too. Guys can become obsessed with breasts or obsessed with penises. So fetishes are usually, really- that's usually psychological 
interest, right? Psychological cues are in that fetish category. Usually. So, so one fetish is I want, I, what turns me on is a woman in spandex, for example, spandex yeah. can be a fetish it. or high heels can be a fetish yeah. or, you know, so yes, there's a psychological reason for that. What is it? We're not going to get into that now. <laughs> we'll do it. Hey, we'll do an that's another story that, that yeah. drags us down to that story cue piece real quick. <laughs> um, next one is partner exchange or open relationship. This would be wife mm. swapping. This mm. would be uh, polyamory, multiple partners, but I have a partner. Uh, yep. The next one would be passion, romance, and mm -hmm. I call this being desired. Guilty as charged. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, we are guilty of all these. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, true, but that, you know, it's like that th those words have literally gone into a search bar before. <laughs> so, so of all of these, right? Um, uh, see, true, true, true. The, the next category, what I, I would category, I would categorize this as erotic flexibility or fluidity. Mm -hmm. So I yep. would stick, homosexuality in there, like same sex yep. behavior. Yep. I would also yep. stick transgender. Uh, yep. There's also something known as autogonophilia, which is, and this is particularly interesting. <laughs> I'll just hint at this men who fantasize about transforming their bodies. Remember transformation is always part of a sexual mm -hmm. fantasy. Men who fantasize about transforming their bodies temporarily. These are not transsexual men, but tra transforming their bodies into a females temporarily to experience yep. what it's like to be a female and yep. be the recipient of sexual pleasure as a female. You know, so occasionally I watch a TikTok or two and there's a lot of reels. Like if you were a man for a day, what's the first thing you would do? Or if you're a woman for a day, what's the first thing? You, and it's always fascinating to hear what people, how they respond because it does open that door up to, I have a fantasy that I've never even entertained. I might do this or that. Yeah. Well, I think we all kind of wonder, I, I do anyway, like if I'm making love to my wife and I've said this to her before is what does this feel like for you to be penetrated? Mm. <laughs> you know? yeah, and she's like, yeah. what does it feel like for you to have an erection and to stick it in somewhere? <laughs> and yeah. we all have these curiosities. And frankly, that's what partners should be talking about. That's, that's kind of fun. Um, number eight. And the last one we have is just in general, is kind of combining these categories that we've talked about, the repetition and reversal. That can be a thing yeah. on its own. And so if you if you use those categories to kind of be curious about your sexual fantasies and see, you might want to tag your fantasies because they might cross multiples of those categories um, and just see what are the elements that go into me really becoming aroused. And most people do not do this. And the reason they do right. not do this is because of shame mm. and they're afraid of what that fantasy might actually say about themselves. So Scott, we are bold and unashamed. We, we get on this, you know, I told you when we started this, we're probably the boldest people we know or the stupidest people we know. And the answer is yes. Oh, we're, <laughs> we're going to talk about a bunch of shit. And so what you've heard is an outline for the things to come. These are all dynamics that we're going to get into in specific ways through specific arousal dynamics, but also through specific uh, psychological and story dynamics. And so there, there is an endless well of combinations and integrations of all these things. 
that open up to what is your arousal template. That's the, that's the language we use. What is your fantasy? What are the things that you want to begin uh, to feel alive in your skin and where does it point you to, especially when you can't stop? You have to compulsively use these to feel okay. So let me, let me give a, an analogy or a metaphor for what an arousal template is, and I think it's helpful to think about it this way. Think about food, okay? There are millions of cookbooks, and they keep yeah. making new cookbooks on desserts, on entrees, on side dishes, right? We take a basic set of ingredients. There's only so many proteins. There's only so many vegetables. There's only so many fruits and flavorings and all that. We take an, a finite number of ingredients, and we mix them up in infinite ways, in recipes for all kinds of different food concoctions or meals. And we go or, back and we go back again and again and again and again. And it is a, the variety and B the repetition of all of those combinations that make me want to eat something yeah. new. Th think about your body. Your body only has five taste sensors. Yeah. Sweet, salty, you know, bitter. It only has five, but there's an infinite combination of taking those basic ingredients externally, combining them so that taste is generated in a way that's really pleasing. Food is pleasing, which is why the Bible uses food as a metaphor for sex. So um, in the same way, we take a basic set of ingredients for sexual arousal, the visual cues, the psychological cues, the story cues, and we combine these in infinite ways as human beings and use our creativity to imagine worlds in, in which we are sexual that reverses the pain of our growing up world. That's really what's going on here. So if you can invite yourself to see that, to your sexual arousal in those terms, and kind of invite a curiosity and a kindness towards your own heart, you're going to get some answers for questions that have been driving you crazy for years. So we're putting a pin in it right there because that is a full episode. If you get everything that we just said, please start a college called Sexual Arousal U and we'll attend because this is a bottomless pit of stuff that Scott and I, you and I both have been um, trying to understand for a, for a few years, but it's been the story of our lives. And so I think we want to continue to invite you guys to do more of that work. Um, if you're curious, scroll through the episode titles, find one that you like, resonate with that. If you want to catch it every week, we want to uh, subscribe and make sure you hit us up every week because we've got something new and curious and kind to bring to you. But remember what was shared here. All of your sexual fantasies are a repetition, a reversal, or a transformation of experiences in your life. And there's and nothing wrong with any of them. We've had a lot of great comments on how guys are enjoying the, the podcast so far. If you like us, please give us a good rating on Apple or any of the other platforms that we're on. And we hope to see you back here next week for another episode on We Got Balls. Yes, we do. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can connect with Chris at PornFreeMasculinity.com and with Scott at SuccessfulMen.com.